Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. My name is Pastor Mark. I'm an associate pastor here at New Day Community Church. I'm so glad to, to be with you guys here again today as we are in week five of our journey to Easter. And I've heard uh, Amber and I are part of a journey to Easter group up in, in, in Kalamazoo, and it's been so uh, enriching and so life-giving, so much fun to build some relationships. And I've heard such great reports about uh, both of the, the groups that are happening down here in Vandalia, and that people are getting plugged in, and people are having real conversations, getting to know one another better. And that is everything that we are looking for is us coming together as a community to talk about real things and grow in our faith together. And so today, as we are continuing our series, we are talking about lament. And uh, lament isn't a super fun thing to to talk about, but the, the reality is that we all encounter situations in our lives that that cause us to grieve. And as we journey towards the cross, things get darker for Jesus before they get better. And many of us, probably all of us, heard you know, a month ago, a little over a month ago, of the, the shooting in, in Parkland, Florida, when 17 people were, were gunned down at the, in a high school. And as we watch this unfold on TV, we just grieve this all-too-familiar sight of a, of a shooting. And I was watching one program where a, a father was uh, talking to some legislators about gun control, and this is not a gun control message, don't worry. I don't care where you fall on that. Uh, th- but he's talking to these legislators about gun control, and he's just like, he has this grief, right? He's like, I'm never going to see my little girl again, and we need to do something about it. And there is this, this tension as, he, as he's talking. He's like, this is not how things are supposed to be. Yeah. And last week, my, my kids at, at Portage Northern High School, where they go to, to school, they had the whole school and schools all across the country had this, this big walkout to, to recognize and to, to deal with this tension, right? They, they saw the, that they were scared to come to school and there's this stuff. And, and I think that whether we think they should walk out or walk up or whatever, there's this thing in these young people that recognize that, wait a minute, What's happening in schools all across the country, this isn't how it's supposed to be, and we don't know what to do with it. And so, in a sense, this walkout was this kind of lament of these kids expressing, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And so today I want to look at what lament is and what biblical lament is, and then see how Jesus himself partook of lament in his darkest moments on the cross. And when I was looking for a a definition of lament, I looked at a a bunch of dictionaries, Merriam-Webster and the other ones and dictionary.com. And the best one that I found was our friends from Google, our good friends Google. I don't even know why other dictionaries are still in business. You just have to Google it now. And the only difference between Google's definition and Merriam-Webster and Dictionary.com and all these other ones is that they added this one word, passionate. 
Lament is a, a passionate expression of grief. And this could be in word or in, in song or in dance or in art, some way of expressing this, this grief that we can all feel, that we have all walked through to, to some extent or another in our lives. Lament cries out, biblical lament cries out for the coming kingdom because as as people, and especially as, as Christ followers who have the Spirit of, of God resonating within us, as we see the, the heart of God written on the pages of, of Scripture, as we see how things began and how things will end, we realize that there's this huge gulf between the way things are supposed to be, the way God set things up, and the way things are. We lament because of the brokenness, the the sin, the depravity of our world. We lament because of sickness and death and injustice. And I hope that through this message, that what you one of the things that you take away is that you have permission to lament. In their book, Reconciling All Things, they talk about lament, and they they describe it as this. Lament is not despair. It is not whining. It is not a cry into a void. Lament is a cry directed at God. It is the cry of those who see the truth of the world's deep wounds and the cost of seeking peace. It is the prayer of those who are deeply disturbed by the way things are. Lament is not despair, meaning it's not the, the complete loss or the absence of hope. Right? We lament because of who God is, because we recognize this great gulf between the way things are and the way things should be, and we cry out, God, are you seeing this? Lament can be prophetic as we call and we invite God to come invade this situation because things are not right. And if we open our eyes and we read the the text of Scripture from the beginning to the end, we see lament throughout. People lamenting at the loss of of family members. We see people lamenting. We see the the prophets lamenting because of how their their people, their nation, their culture has abandoned and and turned away from God. We see this in in Jeremiah, among others, the weeping prophet. He just laments in, in anguish over what his people are doing. There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Right? It's these five long poems written after the Israelites were exiled and their, their capital city, Jerusalem, was destroyed. And it's these five songs or poems that they would read out loud every year in agony, realizing the, the, this terrible destruction that has happened to Jerusalem, which was so central to their culture, so central to their faith, so central to their lives. And now it's gone and destroyed and they've been exiled and many of the people they love have been sent off to Babylon or who knows where. And as we read those laments, it's just this deep despair and anguish. And all, almost half of, over half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. 
I think it's interesting. Israel opened the, this, the service today with Psalm 42. And it, this is, we love this one. The beginning of this one sounds great. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Ah, beautiful. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul thirsts after you. Then verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One. A song of lament. And as we look at the the structure of lament, especially through the, the, the Psalms, we see this repeated structure. There's three parts of, uh, of a typical lament. And they start with the complaint, the petition, and then the anticipatory praise, or what I've shortened it to is the hope. We see all three of these in almost every biblical lament. And so what I want to, to do today is take a look at uh, a psalm, Psalm 22. We're just going to look at how all three of these things are shown in that psalm. And then we're going to see how Jesus uses this very psalm in the darkest moments of his life. And I hope that along with feeling permission to lament, that today you, it helps you to understand that lament, biblical lament, is not a drawing away from God, but it is a pressing in to God. It is drawing close to him because we recognize our great need and the world's great need. So first we have the complaint, and this is Psalm 22, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. This is a psalm of David, and we don't really know the exact context that this psalm was was written in, but there are, as we read the, the biography of David throughout the New Test or the Old Testament, there's numerous situations where he could have written this. Maybe it was when his own son Absalom breaks into Jerusalem and takes over the kingship, chasing him out. His own son, and he's running for his life out in in the wilderness. Certainly that is a time when David could have lifted up his face to the heavens and go, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? And one thing that we can take away from this complaint is that it shows us that we don't have to pull our punches with God. We can lay it all out there. He can handle it. 
And some of us, myself included, can, can look at these kinds of words from the psalm and go, we're not supposed to talk like that, right? I know, I know how things end. I know that Jesus is coming back. Everything is going to be okay. And we short-circuit the, the complaint because we're trying to theologize our way out of this situation. Like, oh, I'm a good Christian. I love Jesus. I can't stay here in this lament. I've got to quickly get over here to hope. But David, honestly, openly, out loud, and then written in the the hymn book of the Israelites is this psalm. They sung this on Sunday mornings. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Probably not Sunday mornings. We have permission to cry out and go, God, this sucks. But biblical lament doesn't stop here. And that is an important part, right? That, that biblical lament is, this, is almost kind of this road or this pathway that helps us to move from the place of our grief and, and anguish and despair back to hope. And I want to encourage us and to, to remind us that that grief takes different forms. It looks like it takes different times for different people. We don't have to rush people through their lament. It's okay to honestly cry out to God. He can handle it. So we have permission to complain. And we have permission to petition. That one rhymed. Psalm 22, 19, there is this shift from the the complaint of David to this. He says, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me. Save me. As we saw in that that quote a couple slides before, lament is not a, a cry into the void, but it is calling out to God. Because we believe in God, because we recognize His goodness, we realize that things are not the way they're supposed to be. So lament isn't a rejection or a turning away from God, but is a drawing close to Him. And in the petition, we ask for God to come and to intervene with, with sickness and disease and, and things like that. We invite God, would you come and would you bring healing? Would you change this situation? And we've seen God do amazing, miraculous things And as we cry out for him to come intervene in, some, in many situations. Amazing testimonies. But some of these situations that, that we look at as we look at the, the loss of, of a loved one, we, we realize that God's not going to fix that on, on this side of, of eternity. But we, inter- we petition God, would you come and would you fill me? Would you be my hope? Will you be my strength? Will you help me to walk down this road? Because I don't understand. This feels like darkness. This feels like you have abandoned me. Would you come? I need to meet with you. And so the complaint leads to the petition which leads to the anticipatory praise. It leads to this remembering and holding on that we have an eternal hope. 
Psalm 22 ends, all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. It's this, this beautiful picture of the end of days. Right? And it says, posterity, all future generations will serve God. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. So in this psalm, whatever David's situation, whatever darkness, whatever mystery, whatever struggle he is in the midst of, he is declaring at the end, eventually we're going to declare God has done it. He has finished He has set all things right again. And as Christ followers, we hold on to hope. And we get there through lament as an expression of our grief. As we try to deal with the struggle and the the mystery of these difficult situations. And so what we're going to look at now is that Jesus uses this very psalm in his last moments on the cross. He uses this lament, crying out to God. And so if you've ever thought that good Christians don't shake their fist at God, that good Christians don't ask God why, good Christians just put on this happy face and come to church, everything's fine, my eternal hope, I'm full of joy, everything's great. then we haven't really engaged with this moment on the cross as Jesus cries out in lament. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 38. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him heaped insults on him. So here we have Jesus, the son of God, the the perfect one. The sinless one, the the one who, as we read through the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen him feed the 5,000 with just a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. We see him heal the blind man to to raise up the, the, the lame, to heal the lepers. We've seen him teach these amazing truths about God. We've come to believe that he is the Messiah, and and yet here he is hanging on a cross between two criminals. And at this point in the story, we've already gone through what we've talked about the, the last couple weeks and the, with the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, throughout the, the Gospel of Matthew, has over and over said, guys, I am going to be handed over to the leaders and I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, I'll be raised again. They're struggling. What are you talking about? You're the Messiah. You're the Lamb of God. How can you die? And then at the, at the Last Supper... This, this, this meal that's supposed to be a, a celebration, Jesus takes the, the, the bread and says, one of you is going to betray me. 
Certainly not me, Jesus, uh, Judas says. And then after dinner, they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, God, and Jesus says, all of you are going to desert me. Peter, along with the other ones, but very boldly stands up and says, even if everybody else deserts you, I never will. I will even die with you, Jesus. Tonight, before the rooster crows, Jesus says, you will deny me three times. And we see that played out just moments before this passage. And so here is Jesus, the the perfect and blameless one, hanging on a cross. His, His closest friends have deserted him. His family has deserted him. His disciples have deserted him and actually sworn and denied that they even knew him. Jesus, all alone on the cross... And in this moment of despair, these these people who are in Jerusalem, these passers-by, they're there probably to celebrate the, the Passover, and they look up at this man. They've probably heard the teachings. They've heard people talking in the city about Jesus, and they go, look at you said you were the Messiah. You said you were this and that. You said that this, this temple is going to be destroyed. Look at you now. Prove it. And Jesus is silent. And then the, the chief priests and the, the Levites, the religious leaders of the day, they are mocking him. You think you're going to destroy our temple? You think our temple is getting destroyed? I don't think so. You're going down. And they're, maybe they're chuckling to themselves. We finally got him. This was a long time coming, but we don't have to deal with this troublemaker anymore. He said he was the son of God. Now look at him. He's cursed. He's been nailed to a tree. Finally. And then to, to make matters worse, to, to heap insult on insult, these two criminals on either side of him who were certainly probably crucified for actual crimes, who actually deserved what they got, even they ridicule Jesus. He's alone, enduring all this in silence. But it gets worse. In verse 45... From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah actually comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So Jesus cries out in a loud voice. Why does he cry out in a loud voice? Maybe it would have been better to kind of keep this lament to himself. 
But I, th- I think that we see this in the, the, the biblical writer that Matthew, who, who wrote this, knew that this was important, that Jesus cried this out loud. And the reason I think that he cried it out loud, or one of the reasons, is because this is what he was feeling in the moment. Ah, God, this is terrible. Why have you forsaken me? And it's not like Jesus was surprised at what was happening. He told his disciples three times at this point, they're going to hand me over and and I'm going to be killed and on the third day I'm going to be raised again. He knew that death waited him. In in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays to the Father, if there's any way for this cup of suffering to, to pass by me, would you please do it? But not my will, but your will be done. He knew that this was part of the, or this was the reason that he was sent, and that eventually he would be resurrected, that he would be glorified. But that doesn't make this moment of pain and grief unimportant or invalid. At this moment, even though he knows what is coming, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus laments on the cross in this lament that every Jew, every person that was passing by that was there to celebrate the Passover, every single one of those religious leaders, probably even the the criminals crucified with him, they would have recognized that. Like, oh, we've sung that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This messianic psalm of lament. And while Jesus doesn't quote the entirety of the psalm, we as readers and Matthew as the author and those listening to it or or reading it would have filled in the blanks. We know that this lament is a cry out because of pain and anguish, but it leads to a, a petition, God, would you come and save me? And it leads to ultimate hope. That we are anticipating that God is going to make all things right again. And so Jesus, in lament, cries out in a loud voice, God, why? Why? Just like we so often, in the face of pain and despair and grief, cry out, why? And I think it's important to, to know that Jesus doesn't lose his faith here. His questioning of why is not losing faith, but it's just an expression of the depth of his unimaginable pain at feeling his father has abandoned him. Right? Up to this point, his friends and his family and his disciples have all abandoned him, but at least he's got God. But now in this moment, it feels like even his dad has turned his face away. And we know the end of the story. We know where this goes. We realize as we read this from our perspective that these people, the the passers-by and the the lead, the, the... the religious leaders and the, the, the criminals that even in their mockery, right, they're actually unwittingly, unknowingly proclaiming the truth. Yes, actually this temple is going to be destroyed. 
Yeah, Jesus is going to be raised again. Yes, he is the king of Israel. Yes, he is the king of the whole world. Yeah, he actually is the son of God. And we know that that Jesus is coming back to set all things right again. We know that he has dealt the the death blow to sin and death on the cross, but we know we're still in this process of this kind of kingdom here and not yet. We step into the kingdom, but we're waiting for its complete fulfillment. But just because we know how the story ends, it doesn't make the the pain and, and the grief that we endure invalid. It doesn't make it not real. We grieve and we lament because as we look at our world, we recognize the great disparity between where things are and where things are supposed to be. We lament just like Jesus did on the cross. In 1 Thessalonians, right, it talks about that, that we don't, what does it say? Uh, we grieve, but not as those without hope. Right? We have hope, but, but, but we, we grieve. And so often we'll take this verse to mean we've got to quickly get to the hope. We've got to get over to the hope because that's who we are. We're Christ followers. But the reality is we still grieve. We grieve these situations. We grieve what is happening in this fallen world and we prophetically cry out, Lord, come quickly. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you have permission to lament. And I want to remind you that the lament is not a withdrawing from God, but it is a pressing into God in the midst of pain and in the midst of confusion and anger. It is prophetic declaring that things are not the way they're supposed to be as we invite Jesus to come. And so as we approach the cross, as we remember this story, let's let it be a reminder to us to to value and to give space for lament. And maybe even to pursue lament as we see these stories play out on TV, whether it's a school shooting or social injustice or slavery, whatever the thing is, the the tensions between nations, the the tensions in our communities, the, the racial divide that we see throughout our country, we can lament. And we need to make room for that. And a lot of these things, social justice issues, we can't just, we don't want to just, we're lamenting and praying for that and then forgetting about it. A lot of times we can get involved and that's important, but that's not what this message is about. This message says that we have permission and we have encouragement in the biblical witness to press into lament, to make room for it in our lives and in our friends' lives, in our church and in our community. And then one thing we've really been trying to hammer through the journey to Easter is that in community, we are stronger. And so when one of us is is grieving, and maybe one of us is in this complaint stage, right, where we're crying out, God, why have you forsaken me? We can come around as a family and, and love on them and strengthen them. And maybe we don't have the answers. We probably don't have the answers. But we can come and say, we love you. We're with you. God is still on the throne. 
And then when we uh, have moved, moved on from that stage of grief, maybe we will have the opportunity to encourage and to love and to support somebody else in their moments of pain. So let's remember to value lament, especially as we take this time to picture Jesus hanging on a cross. And we can feel the the weight and the pain of that even though we know that Sunday's coming. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you, through your life and through your words, give us permission to lament. God, we thank you that you are good and that you are faithful. And that because of your goodness and your faithfulness, we can recognize that things are not as they're supposed to be. And so we invite you to come into to our situations, come into our lives, come into our world, and let your kingdom come. Would you set things right again? Would you help us to be ambassadors of your kingdom in the darkest places, in the darkest times? And Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to endure the pain and the shame of the cross, to bear the penalty of our sins, to to restore us back into right relationship with God, that you were willing to take all this pain and grief on. We thank you that that when you saw all the the fallenness and the corruption of the, the world, that you didn't abandon us, that you didn't shake your head going, man, I'm glad I'm not part of that. But you sent your son Jesus into the mess to participate in our grief, to participate in our lament. And we thank you. We glorify you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to lament better as individuals, as a church, and as a community. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.